The FCA has launched a review of the SMCR regime. So to find out what's going on, I asked my colleague and former FCA employee, Alison Gay, to explain it to me. And we also had a quick chat about the FCA's disclosure regime consultation and some interesting ideas put forward by PIMFA. I hope you enjoy it. So, hello, Alison. Hello. So, the FCAs and the Treasury and the Bank of England all got a little bit excited about SMCR. Uh, mm-hmm. Senior managers' competency regime, is that right? Senior uh, managers and certification. Sorry, certification regime. Thank you. I mean, obviously, they're competent, so it doesn't need sound. <laughs> certification regime. Thank you. SMCR. So, there was a joint consultation from the FCA and the Bank of England. And then a call for evidence from the Treasury at the same time. At the same time, yes. So what's going on, Alison? Well, this all came out of the what they call the Edinburgh reforms. So Jeremy Hunt came flying up to Edinburgh for one day just long enough to make a lot of uh, announcements about uh, what was going to happen in financial services and then flew away again. But one of them was a commitment to reviewing the SMCR. So this is kicking off the review. It's quite important to say that we're at very, very early stages here. So neither of the documents that came out really have any proposals as such. They're very much fact-finding exercises as to is the regime working? If not, what should be done to improve it? Um, So that's in essence what they're hoping to do. I got the impression broadly it, it kind of was working, so, I mean, certainly reading, read, reading the FCA's document, the FCA says the FCA's regime's working really well. That's so, awesome. uh, and, and the Treasury said much the same. So what, what's the problem they're trying to fix here? Why are they even doing this? It's always worth when you're think, talking about the FCA going back to where it all came from in the first place. So the regime was brought in really to do something about what happened in the 2008 banking crisis. The problem with that was that nobody was on the hook for any of the decisions that were made. So really something needed to be done about that. So it first brought in for the banks and then gradually extended to to all the the other relevant... And this this was what, mid-2010, so 2015, 2016-ish? Yeah. It actually, they actually kicked this all off, yeah. Yeah, so I think 2019, the last firms were, were brought in. Right. Um, so it's taken quite a long time to, to get round to everybody. Yeah, so, so that's where that's come from and that's what they're hoping to do. It's all about culture. It's it's about culture and responsibility and uh, making sure that people are actually on the hook for the things that they're responsible for. And so you have allocated tasks to senior mm-hmm. managers and they are, as you say, they're on the hook for specific mm-hmm. aspects of the way the firm operates. So the thinking yeah. is if something goes wrong in a particular place within a firm, the FCA can come after the individual and say that was mm-hmm. your job and you failed yeah. to do your job properly. Uh, and so it's about allocation and monitoring of responsibilities. And, and as I said, like I, I got the impression, not just from reading the FCA documents, but from elsewhere, that mostly... People seem to think that the whole framework mm. actually works quite well, right? Well, if people don't really... I haven't really heard anybody say that they object to the principles behind it, which is that you have fit and proper people operating in the financial services industry who have the qualifications and the background and the experience and the moral standards, whatever they might be. Um, Steady on. To, yeah. <laughs> 
to, uh, to to look at all this stuff. So, so nobody nobody objects to that. There have been some issues with the way it's actually implemented because with anything like this, there's a lot of bureaucracy involved. Really, the main objection that anybody has is the length of time it can take to get people approved. And that's that's the major problem. So, yeah, okay. But again, like, do you need a consultation to fix that? I mean, is it just a matter of tightening up the processes or maybe the FCA throwing some bodies at mm. the approval process? There has, to a certain extent, that has already happened. And there, there are some things outside the regulator's control as to why they have to do all this. Um, for example, they get whole new sectors brought within the perimeter. So you then have to, you've got a whole lot of new people to be to be put through the system. A lot of resources have been thrown at it. There's been a bit of flexibility as well. There was a bit of a problem with, well, quite a big problem. It was initially with people who wanted to go on and parental leave, and it was usually maternity leave. It was taking so long to get the replacements approved that the babies were being born before <laughs> the, <laughs> the replacements were in place. So, uh, so, so a bit of flexibility has been brought into that, very much encouraged by the fact that COVID. <laughs> so so there, there was an issue with people going off suddenly on leave, right. uh, on sickness leave for a while, um, or possibly indefinitely, and there being a whole range of... of, of so it's been a bit more churn of senior staff in yeah, exactly, and that that put a, that lit a fire under the the, the regulators in terms of uh, of making it a bit more flexible. Um, so that's one of the things that's being consulted on whether the twelve week rule about you know if you're, if you're only approving somebody for for less than twelve weeks, the standards are slightly different. So does that work, or does that need to be does that need to be changed? Okay, and presumably firms affected by this are going to welcome a change to this regime that results in things getting processed faster, right? Yes. Yeah, that would be that would be helpful. Yes, I mean, and just being you know, clarity and making things making things simpler. Yeah. Okay, so I was struck also by in the Treasury's call for evidence there was reference to sort of international competitiveness mm. and how our regime here might compete. I mean, they don't mm. actually use that word, but kind of that's a read between the lines. I seem to what they're suggesting, how we compete against mm. international regimes or or perhaps are in harmony with international regimes if you've got international companies that have to. So, so uh, what's going on there then? Mm. Well, this is all to do with the post-Brexit world. The FCE will have a, a secondary objective of promoting international competitiveness for the UK. So is the senior manager's regime a sticking point in terms of international competitiveness? And they want some, if, if firms think that this is the case, then they want evidence of it. So that's what that's all about, really. I, I did discover, actually, that, um, and I didn't see this at first because it's quite hard to find. In the PRA and FCA discussion paper, there is, in fact, an appendix, which in summary says how marvellous and uh, what a gold standard regime this is and how so many other international regimes have been uh, based on our regime. Gosh, <laughs> well done us, right? Exactly. And, but they don't make it easy to find. That's the curious thing. You'd think there would be a link in it from the uh, consultation document, but there isn't. <laughs> they just refer to it and then you have to go hunting. <laughs> Interesting. Okay, yeah. so so the starting point is we're doing a pretty good job here. We just need to tighten things up here and there. Mm. Yes. Um, 
What about the directory of certified persons? So, mm. you know, in theory, uh, any member of the public can go onto what onto the FCA website and search for information about senior managers. And does that work? Yeah, that's a very good question. So, certification is is not is not as uh, rigorous a regime as the the senior managers regime. This is exactly the sort of thing that they want. They want people who are actually on the ground dealing with this. They want to know two things. They want to know, does it work for consumers and does it work for the people who are actually on it? So that's one of the, the, the quite important things that will come out of this, this consultation. And I'm sure lots of members of the public are going to take the time to respond to They're the absolutely not, no. <laughs> but there will be... <laughs> <laughs> there will be some consumer organisations, I think. Yeah, okay. 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 I mean, presumably, it's largely going to be the big institutions, the banks, the big platforms, the investment houses, mm-hmm. you know, the, 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 the chunky end of the market are going to be the ones who bother to, to actually do a response to this. It'd be quite good to get some IFA network kind of come mm-hmm. input into this as well, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. This is a hobby horse of mine is that people think that well, two things. People think that you have to respond to everything in a consultation and you absolutely don't. Just it's very one. liberating, actually, to go through a consultation paper and just go, well, I'm not going to answer those 10 questions, exactly. but I will yes, answer number I have 11. No views on this subject. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, yeah, so definitely. I mean, that's, yeah. One nicely crafted paragraph in a letter saying, in answer to question 4B, <laughs> I would like to make this point based on my experience, that will land extremely well with the regulators because they they want to know what's happening out there so I I always say to people if you've got anything to say just put it in you you don't have to to make it a terribly formal uh, response you don't even need to read the whole thing you just find one particular question that that affects your business or affects um, what you're doing out there it's it's always worth sending it in so look there's and I was reading back through this so there's various conduct rules as part of so mm-hmm. SMCR. Is this going to be superseded at all by consumer duty? Well, I mean, consumer duty is one of the conduct rules. <laughs> so, um, okay. Yeah, so in everything, in, in, in a sense, is superseded by consumer duty in some ways. But uh, you certainly have to, to bear it in mind because this is quite explicitly the means by which consumer duty will be enforced because although the, the consumer duty champion isn't... Uh, specifically within this responsibilities this is the tool that they're going to use so if your firm is not complying with the consumer duty it's whoever has the consumer duty in their list of responsibilities is going to be the one on the hook for it right okay so that all makes sense so the closing date for this consultation is first of june yes they both close on the same day I think your point is well made you know if the industry's got anything to say on this to take take a few minutes out and drop them yeah. a line they'd love to hear from you yes so then the other thing that caught our eye this week well caught your eye that you shared with me and i thought gosh yes that is quite interesting was pimfa stirring things up a bit they had a piece published in was it ft advisor I think it was ft advisor it's- is yes, it is. Okay, didn't want to do them a disservice. We're still in FCA land, but the recent consultation on the disclosures framework and P 
PIMF have kind of gone in studs up a bit, haven't they? I mean, they basically mm. said, look, there's a general consensus that the disclosures regime and PRIPS, you know, just like was was not great. But PIMF have come up with a, a six-point plan to just completely rethink the whole disclosures regime, which is kind mm. of interesting, isn't it? Yes. It's aiming very high in its in its suggestions. I mean, the very first one is reduce the weight placed on disclosure as a regulatory tool. Whoa, well, panic attack in, in FCA towers at that that's one. Quite, that's quite radical stuff. <laughs> but it then goes on to say recognising both the low levels of consumer engagement and financial literacy in the adult population, which is absolutely a fair call. Well, um, yeah, yeah. And the FCA's got their financial lives so they can they do kind of know the truth of this, don't they? Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah. No, I thought I thought that was really interesting, bold, bold opening gambit. But I think probably a lot of people in the industry would agree that just the whole ambition of the disclosure regime as it has existed, just it's just like not working, is it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And th- th- there's always been a, a a bit of a tension between advised and non-advised when it comes to disclosure, because advisors sort of rightly say, well, it's our job to explain what all these things are about. Not, It's not our job to give you 50 sheets of paper for one single product. And then this is one of the recommendations as well, is to take advised business out of the the what they're calling the post-prips product regime and just rely on the suitability letter, which I think is quite an interesting way of thinking about things yeah you know that one caught my eye as well and you know i sat and thought about conversations i've had with financial advisors oh yeah actually there's there's a lot of sense in that it's a bit belt and braces to have the whole advisory framework and the regulations around that and then the disclosures as well and i actually quite like the point they suggested again a further point beyond that i think it was number four develop headline disclosures Mm. that focus on the six things you need to know about this product before buying because Mm -hmm. So often with disclosures, the problem isn't not enough information, it's too much information and people Absolutely, just get yeah. swamped with, you know, actually, how do, I, how do I distill from all of this the key stuff I really need to know? Mm. So that too, uh, I thought was quite an interesting proposal. One of the yeah, problems with disclosure is always that different people want different things. Uh, somebody might be buying the same product for the same reasons as somebody else, but one person is a details person and one other person is not a details person and somebody's a numbers person, somebody's a words person. So different people want different things. So I think the, the answer is always headline stuff and then the opportunity to drill down for people who want mm. it. And then here are the signposts and where to go and find the yeah. information you want. Mm. So what do you think the odds are that the FCA will look kindly on these suggestions? Well, it's quite constructive. They're certainly not going to get everything. And there's a quite an interesting suggestion of creating a central retail disclosure source book in the handbook just to make things easier as to where people can find things. And that's that's quite a practical suggestion. So yeah. of yeah. all the six things, I think that one might get the most traction. Interesting. Well, I hope I hope the FCA take give serious consideration to some of the other suggestions as well. Because mm. to me, I thought they were quite quite radical, mm. yes, but also quite sensible and constructive. Mm-hmm. So, so well done, Pimfa. Yeah. There we go. All right, Alison. Thank you very much for talking through all of that. Good to talk to you. My pleasure. Yes. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you did, then do please consider leaving a positive review and maybe even subscribing for future episodes. The sound engineer was Ross Burns. Thank you for listening.